0: Thank you for taking some time out of your evening to tune into this podcast. I'm Michael Miano, and I will be your host. The goal is for the next 10 minutes to give you some information regarding Josephus's writing, The Life of Flavius Josephus, and also some of his shared thoughts in regards to Passover. Many of you should know that Josephus is a first-century Jewish historian. That means that he wrote to us from the context of not only being a Jew who would have understood the traditions and even the contemporary interpretations of Judaism in his day, but he also lived during the time of Jesus Christ and attests to the history, the historicity, if you will, of Jesus Christ and followers of him professing that they believed in his death, burial, and resurrection and his coming. So Josephus also, from another perspective, gives us Many details and information regarding the Roman Jewish War in his writing, The War of the Jews. And that's important because, as a preterist, I believe that the coming of the Lord occurred in AD 70, namely, occurring in the details and events between the years 66 to 70 AD. And that is because Jesus said that his followers would see the coming of the Lord, Matthew chapter 16, verses 27 through 28, as well as Matthew chapter 24, verse 34. Again, I could go through the time text and we could be going through all of those details, but the goal of our remaining time is to become informed from a historical perspective in regards to the details that Josephus shares. Now, of importance is the discussion, the argumentation that Josephus's writings are not reliable. Now, it's important to take into mind that, yes, Josephus was a human being. He had presuppositions. He had um, understandings that he probably developed from his cultural time. And, you know, he had biases. That's very important to take into our um, understanding of these things. So, that actually kind of brings us into what I wanted to talk to us about this evening. Josephus has a lot of writings, and he offers up a variety of perspectives. And one thing I'd like to start out with is talking about the oldest manuscripts we have of Josephus' writings. And there's this amazing website, josephus.org. That's J-O-S-E-P-H-U-S.org. And you go there, and I'm telling you, the information is endless. Um, It's full of details, full of insights, full of the writings that if you do not have a a hard copy of Josephus' writings, you can go ahead and visit that website and download PDF files of those writings. And then also read summaries and see timelines and charts that better help you understand the details of Josephus. So one of the questions that was posited on that website is, what are the oldest manuscripts we have of Josephus' works? The oldest manuscripts of the works of Josephus in their original language of Greek date to the 10th and 11th century. Portions of the works are also quoted in earlier manuscripts by other authors, particularly Eusebius, 4th century church father. There are also versions in other languages, notably a Latin translation made about the 5th century. These are all codexes, bound books, not scrolls. As with all ancient texts, variations appear among the manuscripts due to inaccuracies in copying. The two manuscripts considered to have the best texts for the Jewish wars are the Codex Parnas Gaseus and the Codex Ambranaceus, both dating from around 900 to 1000 CE, that is the contemporary era. The Jewish Antiquities, because of its length, was transmitted in two parts. The best texts for the first half are Codex Regius Parnassius from the 14th century and Codex Occinensius from the 15th century. The best are, are also preferred authorities for the life. <clears throat> I'm sorry, the best texts for the second half are Codex Palantinus from the 9th or 10th century and Codex Ambrosius the latter are also the preferred authorities for the life which is the writing i'll be sharing some details about tonight the only manuscript for against apian is codex laurentius from the 11th century which has a large gap in book 2 that must be filled by the old latin version numerous translations of these manuscripts have appeared over the years and exploded in number after the invention of the printing press the first printed Edition dates from 1470. An, imported, an important print Greek edition, now called Edidio Precepts, was also published by Johannes Forbin in Basel in 1544, which seems to use a manuscript different from those known. Using the oldest manuscripts to try to determine the original text, Benedict Nies from 1887 to 1889 published a six-volume Greek edition with full notes as to the variant readings. This is the text used for the English translations of both Loeb Library Edition and the New Brill Josephus Project, although the translators at times prefer alternate readings as the best against Nice's choices. The very popular Whiston translation, first published in 1737, is unfortunately not based on as fine a text, and so careful readers will find differences between the Wiston version and more modern translations. So as I mentioned, I want to talk to us tonight about the life of Flavius Josephus. What he does throughout most of that writing is he tells you about how he became engaged in the Roman-Jewish War, and toward the end of the writing, he begins to explain In speaking of Justice of Tiberius, another Jew who had written histories which much of his writings are lost other than fragments and mentions of his writings in other people, other historians, Josephus says this in regards to Justice of Tiberius. Thy political administration of affairs afterwards does also clearly discover both your behavior in life and that that you were the occasion of your country's revolt from the Romans plain sign of which I shall produce presently. That's in Life 65, chapter 65, uh, verse 344. He then goes on to say, in verse 352, It was not I, therefore, who was the author of this, but your own inclinations to war. And that is him speaking in regards to Justice of Tiberius. So, he accuses Justice of Tiberius of writing a false history, of giving a false narrative in regards to the details of the Roman-Jewish War. And this is important because both of them have their perspectives. If you read the end of The Life of Flavius Josephus, I believe it explains that Josephus sought to offer up the best that he could, despite his biases, again, being a traitor to the Jews, if you will. Um, and serving the Romans as a general. Uh, he explains much of that toward the latter end of life, uh, the life of Flavius Josephus as well, why he became engaged in the war and teamed up uh, with Agrippa and why he believes that justice of Tiberius led his people to the slaughter, so to speak. So that's one of the reasons why people say that he's not necessarily reliable is because there was an argument in history in regards to who was reliable. But it's important for you to go ahead and do that reading yourself. When you read further in talking about the Passover and there's this link at the Flavius I'm um, I'm sorry, at the josephus.org website, there's a link in regards to Josephus's thoughts in regards to Passover. I went ahead and studied through that and j- I'm just going to pretty much spend the remainder of our time summarizing the thoughts. Three things that stood out to me, well actually four things, was that he talked of other versions and myths added to the Passover story. And he said "He this is in against Apian, which was an apologetic against Apian in regards to not only the Roman Jewish war, but also the histories in and of themselves of the Jews. So, In this writing, he says that there were many different stories and myths added to the Passover story. For example, one historian, if you you will call them that, had mentioned that um, the Jews were not, you know, led out of Egypt by no God, but rather they were expelled from Egypt because of their mingling with those that had leprosy, which we know from, if we're taking the biblical inspired position, we know that that's not true. So that's one thing he goes on about, and that there's other versions from other historians. Uh, he talks about Passover and the fall of jericho and and the the notation found in that writing is what interested me. It says this: Josephus may be following a contemporary interpretation, guided by the concept that Passover is the time for significant events to occur, because what Josephus goes on to do is give you a list of so many different things that have been aligned with Passover in and through his histories and in and through the history of the Jews. For example, he talks about when King Hezekiah had reinstituted righteous reign within the uh, the nation of Israel, namely within the house of Judah. And Hezekiah did this in 2 Chronicles 30, verse 1. And... This happened at Passover, and the first feast that he celebrates is Passover. Also, when you read of King Josiah's reforms in 2 Kings chapter 23, you read more about um, how this all happened at Passover and how much of these reforms were instituted at Passover. And I could go on talking about the the fall of Jericho and how that happened at Passover and, you know, many of the other details. Even more interesting, when we move into the New Testament, we know that Jesus' crucifixion happened at the time of the Passover. Sure enough of interest, especially to those of us that call ourselves preterists, two other things that are mentioned in Josephus' writings that happened at Passover. One is in regards to the warnings of disaster that happened in 66 AD. Now this is again what the preterists call the coming of the Lord. And sure enough, the summary of the warnings of disaster that happened in 66 AD is that at Passover, before the start of the war, What Josephus writes about is a brilliant light shines around the altar, a heifer gives birth to a lamb, and the heavy eastern gate of the temple opens by itself. And, you know, I would encourage you to go ahead and read. They have another link about the destruction of the temple uh, in Josephus' writings. Maybe I'll share more about that in our next part, because this is going to be part one of talking about these things. Um, But again, they mention that these things began to happen at the time of Passover, which is much in line with the Jewish understanding of types and antitypes, right? You see the uh, the type being the shadow, and Old Testament is full of shadows that are revealed in their fuller reality, their greater reality, the antitype uh, in the New Testament. And sure enough, here we see the details of the coming of the Lord happening at the time of Passover in 66 A.D. Even in so many different details. Again, I would encourage you to go ahead and read Josephus' writings in regards to that uh, that destruction of the city. However, just that link alone, going to josephus.org, you can find the cause of the destruction link, and again, amazing. Furthermore, in 70 AD, at the time of Passover, I just want to share a couple of quotes from Josephus. Now, the number of those that were taken captive during the whole war was calculated to be 97,000, and those that perished during the siege, 1,100,000. Of these, the greater part were indeed of the same nation, but did not live in the city itself, for they had come up from throughout the country to the feast of unleavened bread, and were suddenly shut up by an army, which immediately, occasioned so great distress among them that there came a pestilient destruction, and soon afterward a famine that destroyed them even more swiftly. He goes on to say, But now the entire nation was shut up by fate as in prison. For the army, the Roman army, surrounded the city when it was crowded with inhabitants. According to the multitude that had perished with exceeding exceeded all the destructions that either men or God has, has ever brought upon the world. Something interesting to note in regards to Matthew chapter 24. For when everyone in sight had either been killed or taken captive, the Romans began to search the subterranean passages, broke up the ground, and killed everyone they met. They also found over 2,000 people dead, some slain by their own hands, some by another, but chiefly by famine." The ill odor of the dead bodies was so horrible to those that discovered them that many withdrew immediately, while others were so greedy for gain that they would go in further, treading among the corpses that lay in the heaps, for a great deal of treasure was found in these caverns, and the hope of gain made of every of every means of obtaining it esteemed lawful. Also brought out from underground were people... Imprisoned by the tyrants, for even at the end they did not abandon their barbarous cruelty. Yet God avenged himself upon both of them in manner agreeable to justice, for John of Giscala was in these caverns with his brethren, in need of food. Now he begged that the Romans would give him their right as a promise of his security, which he often before proudly rejected. And Simeon, son of Gorgias, struggled hard with the distress he was in, until he was forced to surrender himself." as we shall relate later. So Simon was reserved for the triumphal parade to be slain, while John was condemned to perpetual imprisonment. And lastly, And now the Romans set fire to the extreme parts of the city and burnt them down and entirely demolished its walls. And thus was Jerusalem taken in the second year of the reign of Vespasian in the eighth month of Gorkopagius. And, uh, yeah, so you know there's a lot happening there in regards to the the theme of Passover and what Josephus has to say about the events of the first century. So my goal today was to kind of highlight the, the historicity of Josephus to show that there's different historical um, revisions and details and it's important for us to study and to discern the different perspectives and Josephus gives an interesting explanation as to the uh, bias that he may hold in in the life of Flavius Josephus, those last couple chapters. So I encourage you to go ahead and check them out. And also, uh, as we move closer to the time of Passover, uh, next week is actually the Jewish time of Passover, Um you know, just be mindful of, of all that God has done, all that God did through the Old Testament, the types and the antitypes. Maybe go ahead and read what Josephus had mentioned in regards to Passover, simply by visiting that link I've already made mention of, josephus.org. And, um... You know, and then also think of the significance of how that relates to Christ and His offering Himself as the Passover Lamb, as we read about there in Second Corinthians, and also that Christ gave up His blood and gave up His and gave up His life, gave up His blood, and He redeemed His people. He brought them out from spiritual Egypt, which was that bondage to the old covenant that was based upon you know sacrifice and and, and systems of man rather than true righteousness, which you know, which can only come through Jesus Christ himself. So, so much to think about. I pray that I've just given you some insights, some challenges, I've gone a little bit over my time, but look forward to these sessions on Wednesday evenings where I'll just offer up about 10 minutes of thought in regards to Josephus and some of his uh, perspectives in regards to the first century, in regards to Jesus, and in perspective of the context of the Jews. So uh, thank you again, go in peace, God bless.